calm the avarice Calm the war, calm hell Come attrition Come the reek of bones Come attrition Come hell This is why Why we fight Why we lie awake And this is why This is why we fight when we die, we will die with our arms unbound. And this is why, this is why we fight. Come hell, come hell. Bright of quiet. Bright of all unquiet things Bright of quiet, bright of hell Come the archers Come the infantry Come the archers of hell This is why why we fight, why we lie awake And this is why, this is why we fight And when we die, we will die With our arms unbound And this is why, this is why we fight Come here This is why, why we fight, why we lie awake. And this is why, this is why we fight. And when we die, we will die with our arms unbound. And this is why, this is why we fight. Come to me, come to me now Lay your arms around me And this is why, this is why we fight Come hell, come hell This is why we fight the Perry Gerber band covering the Decemberists. First time I opened the show <clears throat> with someone covering that song. The show is Labor Lines on KRFP 90.3 FM, krfp.org. Labor Lines is the show. I'm John Andercheck going into my third year on the great community station KRFP. I'd like to shout out to the three anonymous donors who take part in the KRFP Adopt a DJ program. It's one of the ways supporters of this great station can contribute directly to one of our many great programs. Uh, we are a member-supported operation, and if you'd like to become a member, you can find out how by going to krfp.org. Today's show, I'm recording on the 3rd of February for play on the 9th of February. It is going to be taken up for the most part with a session I recorded a few weeks ago with a friend and comrade and what amounts to a frequent contri contributor to this program, Mark Anderlich, out of Missoula, Montana. He's going to go over 
uh, what he's come up with, 10 elements of a party, of a new political party that would serve the workers of this country, not the 1%. That's going to start at the top of the hour of this two-hour show and uh, take up, again, most of the show. Actually, it, it runs for almost uh, 90 minutes. It'll be broken down into three segments. Uh, KRFP, again, is the sh uh, radio station here. Labor Lines is the show. You, I also post uh, the shows and standalone interviews on a podcast also called Labor Lines, which you can find on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, and Overcast. Uh, for those who are listening now, uh, as the show will be broadcast next week, but at times have trouble listening to the station as you travel about. Uh, I have found one app, Radio Garden, and there's many others that can allow you to uh, listen to uh, hundreds of stations worldwide um, using one of those apps. Something I'd like to throw out. If you'd like to get hold of me, you can do so via Twitter at LaborLineJohn or at Yahoo, LaborLineJohn at Yahoo.com. So again, top of the hour, we'll get into the 10 elements of a workers' party with Mark Anderlich. Before that, we'll be playing some music. Thank you for listening. Right before our eyes, none of us are free. 
and scatter straight union spot. Please ask my father to be step aside and through his fists and every rock around me could find. Oh, which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Didn't know those miners had more than shovels and knives. Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Sitting around, 
waiting for a promotion now, don't you know? We're talking about a revolution, it sounds like a whisper. Poor people gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's theirs.
The Street Dogs as they're covering Power in the Union. Before that, Bob Dylan electrifying the Newport Folk Festival with uh, Maggie's Farm. Clyde and the Mill Tailors, which side are you on during their version of Florence Reese's classic labor song? Widespread Panic covering None of Us Are Free and Mob Job covering Neil Young. I love that cover covering Neil Young's Rocking in the Free World. Okay, John Andertrek here, KRFP 90.3 on the FM, krfp.org. Going go in, right into, oh, close to 90 minutes uh, with Mark Anderlich as he covers his 10 elements for a worker party in the United States. Thank you. John Andertrek with Labor Lines, Labor Lines, the show on KRFP, 90.3 on FM dial out of Moscow, Idaho, and KRFP, the podcast, where you can find that on Anchor FM and other platforms. Joining me once again is a friend and comrade, Mark Anderlich out of Missoula, Montana. It's the 23rd of January. We're recording this from my home, and uh, I asked Mark to give me some of his valuable time for a recent post he put on his social media, uh, 10 elements for a new party. And that's an important point we're going to stress here or start out with, that it's not necessarily a reform of existing party, though it would behoove one to perhaps look at these, uh, but uh, just for a party that would serve uh, the 99%. So, Mark, uh, thanks for your time. As we spoke, we're going to go maybe just read off this list, and we'll go back to them and discuss each one as we go. Sure. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, go right ahead. All right. So, and, and I would just say this, is that I was thinking about this list in a conversation that we had started uh, about, you know, could the Republican Party become a, you know, working class party? And um, so I thought about, well, what what would that look like? What would, uh, you know, what would be required for that? And um, and so I'm thinking that this could apply to people who are trying to change the Democratic Party, um, like the Justice Democrats or possibly the Republican Party or even like a, a, a new third party. Um, these elements would apply to any of them. And so I'll, I'll just read these off first and then we'll go back over them. Um, and I have one to add. Thanks to you, John. I'll, I'll add one at the end, <laughs> which is a good one. Um, number one, um, become the party of the working class, broadly defined, which what I mean is the 99% which means refusing money from corporations, Wall Street, and the 1%. Number two, at a bare minimum, protect and expand New Deal programs. See that Medicare for All, Green New Deal, debt forgiveness, free tuition, etc., are merely extensions of the New Deal. Number three, renounce neoliberalism. 
which always puts markets ahead of people, and which was created in the 1930s to destroy the New Deal. Number four, renounce neoconservatism, which embraces empire and gets us into uh, permanent wars all the time. Number five, use class issue policies to more directly attack race, gender, sexual orientation, etc. issues. Less virtue signaling and culture war stuff, more concrete action to make all lives better. Number six, employ deep organizing as an operational norm. By this I mean to organize for political change by actually organizing voters on the precinct level. Instead of simply mobilizing and increasing, increasingly shrinking voter base, the Union Unite here and others employed part of deep organizing, known as deep canvassing, in the success of the Georgia Senate races. Number seven, take seriously policies that go beyond the private ownership of the economy. Neoliberalism was invented to destroy the New Deal, and it is succeeding. Therefore, just reverting back to the New Deal is not enough. The private ownership of huge parts of the economy by the 1% has made it possible to create laws that hugely favor the 1%. Number eight, renounce the lie that the federal budget is like our household budgets. Belief in balanced federal budgets is a self-inflicted wound. Number nine, Reach out to Trump or Biden supporters by offering them a better economy, guaranteed to be more successful than calling them deplorables or libtards. Number 10, work like hell for the working class. Not just words, but actions that takes risks. Take on the big health insurance companies and big pharma, for example. Actions speak louder than words. And number 11, which came up in this conversation, is create a membership democratic organization. Well, there we go, Mark. Thank you. So um, lots to cover there. So let's go back to um, uh, number one, become the party of the working class, broadly defined. Yeah. So um, either if, if you're the Democrats try to play it both, both sides, right. And um, they, on the national level, they try to, they cater to the big money and to Wall Street and to big finance, and then also say they're part of the working class. Um, I don't think that you can do both. And I think that it, obviously taking money from corporations and Wall Street and the 1% is, uh, makes you uh, dependent upon them, and you will – you know, eventually, uh, if not already, you know, dance to the tune that they're that they're singing. Um, I think, as John, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, Bernie Sanders showed that uh, showed the way past Citizens United, right? And uh, of of funding, uh, getting hundreds, if not millions, of small donor funders, and build up a huge campaign chest. You, there is no need for any. Uh, party who wants to uh, really win over the working class to go take any single penny from corporations or Wall Street or the one percent. I agree, uh, Mark. You know, like we said, Sanders, excuse me, by uh, commission proved that wrong, and uh, his opponent in the primary back in sixteen uh, uh, proved that um, we're not uh, dependent on Citizens United, which to me is just an excuse. Hillary Clinton who had almost as much money, had maybe more money, I think, than Trump and couldn't win the uh, White House. Uh, in 2020, as we spoke about, her ex-campaign manager, who somehow still had a job after still not winning the, the 16 election, uh, was running the pack for uh, the House of Representatives where we lost 20 seats, or we being the Democrats, or they lost 20 seats. And also, I think, not only at the uh, at a party level, but what comes to mind is also at the personal level, uh, you know, when you see these uh, the speaker fees uh, for the ex-president uh, Barack Obama uh, or for Hillary Clinton, where she doesn't even release the transcripts, uh, they're not dropping 400 large uh, 
they're not dropping 400 large just uh, to hear what you're saying. I mean, they're going to call that shit in, as we say. Uh, and fundamentally, going back to my faith, you can only serve you can only serve one master. So, right, yeah, we don't we don't need it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this very basic. Uh, you know, it it. Uh, I think again, it would up, appeal to uh, the ninety nine percent. But we don't need their money. Uh, we know why it's being taken. Um, uh, Citizens United is just an excuse. Uh, why wait for it uh, to be overturned? Uh, so, uh, uh, number two. Yeah. So, number two is talking about a bare minimum protect and expand New Deal programs. And I think what people need to understand is that um, we can't go from zero to 60 overnight, in, in a sense. Uh, not to say that, I mean, I think a lot of political leaders take it exactly the opposite way. They're saying zero to 60 and maybe 60 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, that the first kind of the first order of business in a, in a, in a newly organized democratic party or a newly organized Republican party or a third party is to um, build on what there is already. And that is the new deal. And, and some of the, you know, the programs, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, et cetera, that was passed in the 1960s. And so um, if you look at what the progressives in, in Congress are pushing, like Medicare for all, like the Green New Deal, debt forgiveness and free tuition, those are really extensions of the New Deal. Those are things that actually improve upon the New Deal and expand it to, to take on more things. To, to you know uh, to think of it anything more than that and uh, is I think not being fair to the political process. People I often heard people say, well, D- Bernie Sanders he's really promoting you know social democracy and uh, and and I think that Sanders actually has a much longer vision than that. But programmatically, you know, as a program. Um, we've got to, you know, we're starting from zero and we need to go to 25 miles an hour and expanding what we have through the new deal is, I think the, the, the most sensible way of doing that. Right. And that's a good point. And, and they, I'll just throw my analogy in there. I'm not sure if we're starting from zero, uh, having worked in the woods over many of my years, I feel like we're in the ditch and we're, we're jacking up the the rig and putting the chains on uh, at the very best, uh, Mark. And you're from Montana, so you probably could dig that. Green New Deal yeah. is an interesting one. Per- uh, perhaps again, um, you know, the messaging there. Uh, I really don't call. I don't care what it's called. Uh, but again, to be a broad-based, ninety-nine percent program, um, uh, it has to be a just transition, as people say. And to me, just means yeah. seamless. Meaning if, uh, as we say in the trades, double check on Friday, um, meaning that when you get laid off, if you have a union job, they come out and pay you. You don't wait to get your last paycheck and sign up on Monday. Um, And otherwise, uh, we're turning all those workers right around, as we discussed before we went on this recording, right around to the potential of the next Trump, who's going to be a lot smarter He's got the playbook. He or she will have the playbook in front of them and say, they put you out of work, but I'll put you to work. Right, right. And, and I think that right now there's an opportunity to see that, um, you know, for years and years and years, neoliberalism has tried to undermine the role of government in, in just about anything. Okay. Um, and so I think that uh, given, you know, COVID, and the uh, CARES Act, even though I'm highly critical of the CARES Act, at least it showed people that, hey, the government can do something for me, can help me when I'm in need. And I think that's a really important step. And this is this is a, a, a very important time to say not only, I mean, the CARES Act was not very well thought out, in my opinion, but to come up with something much more uh systematic like what Roosevelt did during the new deal and, uh, and, and to come out with something that's more long lasting, uh, more productive 
and and uh, really instills in people, uh, you know, some pride in some, uh, you know, good self-worth. Right. I mean, right now, I think we, we are in a crisis of of uh, self self-worth. And that's why we have so many deaths of despair from opioid addiction and, and other means. Um, I, I think we're, we're in a big spiritual crisis. So we can, people can get some sense. Now it won't work all the time, but they can get some sense of meaning and purpose in their life through a big, uh, you know, like the green new deal. I agree 100%. Excuse me, Mark. Um, sure. No, that's good. I agree 100%. And as we've talked before, I bring my my faith into it, but it, it really is, uh, it's across the board. You don't have to find it in faith teachings. You find it in fundamental uh, teachings of humanity, of humanism, uh, and neoliberalism is the ultimate assault on it, as we talked about before. Uh, people yeah. talk about how financialized uh, capital, financialized economy, it financialized human beings. We're, we're literally, as Mario Savo said in the 60s, we're just, uh, you know, just the, the, the cogs, and you know, we're just... Uh, they're in a machine, you know, it's um, right. And, right. and, and we are dealing with that. Ultimately, I do agree that it, it's the steps of despair, uh, pessimism. Okay. You know, they'll, I'm a pessimist by nature. My kids will call me out on that. You know, they say optimism doesn't cost you anymore, uh, but despair is the ultimate enemy. And while we're not going to go into people's homes and tell them what religious or human, humanistic belief to embrace, uh, right. No one can challenge us to say that if you wake up in the morning and you feel that not only yourself, but your family and however you want to define your family in, in 2021 uh, yep. has a better chance today and tomorrow, uh, uh, we're going to see a better world. And uh, I'll just go right on here and, and get out of your way. But uh, this, again, is a response not only to Reagan's, the government is the problem, but the Bill Clinton's um uh, the era of big government is over instead of a full-throated uh, defense and response to civil society, to civic good. Uh, that's all he could do because we know he, 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 he carried water for the neoliberals uh, openly. Yes. Yep. Okay. So go right ahead. Well, and that's, that's a nice uh, segue into the third one, renounce neoliberalism. Um, and as we've, you know, talked on the show before, neoliberalism believes that the markets can solve all our problems. I mean, the most extreme forms of neoliberalism. But people don't remember that it was invented specifically to counter and destroy the New Deal, right? So uh, to identify what neoliberalism is, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a struggle in and of itself. And to see it uh, you know, in action, and really, it should be called neoliberal capitalism. Okay, that's the that's the full name of it. But um, it, you know, to see it in action, to see how it affects our own lives and how it separates us from each other, it's mm. it is a very pernicious totalitarian uh, viewpoint, and it is the dominant political view right now of both the Democratic and Republican parties. Absolutely. And, and over you know, with our friends in uh, Europe, right? Our uh, neoliberal, as we call them, this neoliberal poster child 2.0, Macron uh, in France. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. So, again, I'm speaking with Mark Anderlich, a friend, a comrade uh, on the 23rd of January. I'm John Andercheck. I'm recording this both for Labor Lines, the radio show on the great community station KRFP, and for the podcast that you can find labor lines on anchor fm and otherwise going into three mark uh, no excuse me four going into four now yeah well and to, to not to just pick on neoliberalism um, we, you know i'm saying that we should renounce neoconservatism which isn't an equivalent to neoliberalism neoconservatism means it's really about uh, maintaining the american empire and which means that we have, you know, imperial ambitions and activities all around the world. Um, I was very disheartened to hear that uh, Joe Biden's uh, presumed new secretary of state is 
basically saying, oh, we're going to we're going to protect a coup plotter in in Venezuela (laughs) instead of the the uh, rightfully elected president. Um, That's that's neoconservatism, right, is saying that, well, we don't really care about democracy or justice uh, around the world. What we want is what's good for us and we will use our military uh, and try to enforce it. Of course, it's 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 a like neoliberalism. It's a failed. It's a completely failed policy. We're stuck in forever wars uh, created by neoconservatives, and uh, and we can't seem to win them. So, in fact, <laughs> so it's kind of like you know, let's wake up and smell the coffee. We, I think, this country would be much better if we were to give up uh, empire. And try to be a better example in the world, uh, try to be a better example in the world than being the world's policeman. Right. Uh, well, you know, and ultimately, um, uh, the ultimate uh, uh, piece of international solidarity among workers is war, I think, because it's the ultimate uh, atrocity, literally, upon workers everywhere. It, it was, you know, it was... Um, the vote for the Iraq war by the work by that was enabled by the supposedly the worker friendly party in the United States rained down literally death and destruction and still does to workers everywhere. It's the workers, you know, who goes into the military here, who goes, uh, who was uh, uh, suffered in Iraq and elsewhere, Mark. And it, it, yep. it is telling though, it is um, the, the establishment, um, To look at how, um, you know, we talk about there's no bipartisanship in in Congress. I beg to differ. Uh, They jumped on Trump. They don't even want Trump to in the the authorization act for the Defense Department. They won't even allow Trump to withdraw from Afghanistan. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's a sickness, in my opinion, that is undermining the working class in this country big time and uh, any sort of chance of international solidarity among the working class around the world. Right. And I just look at practically um, very proud of my son who uh, was in um, a unit in the Air Force and really did construction. And his mom and I would talk about what a waste of talent over those years that could have been used for natural disasters everywhere in the world. Uh, when you look at our capacity, which exceeds like almost the entire world combined, no one has like one aircraft carrier we have. They're all little miniature models next to ours. If we converted half of those into uh, a task force to respond somewhere in the world where it's needed, um, again, that would build international solidarity and would be actually answering, in my opinion, re- reacting to uh, the true crisis humanity faces. So. But here's number five, the big one, uh, kind of a uh, kind of interesting, kind of a lightning rod here. Uh, but let's get into it. Yeah. So this number five is using class issue policies to more directly attack race, gender, sexual orientation, you know, identity issues, um, which are real. And um, and then, you know, I said less virtue signaling and cultural war stuff, more concrete action to make all lives better. And so. Because of that, I was I was called uh, unbelievably enough uh, a white supremacist because of that, and um, I, I, it's laughable, really. I mean, but it does go to show what uh, where certain people and and these are Democrats, right? Definitely, you know, hardcore old school or not old school Democrats, but you know how the Democratic Party is right now, the centrists. Um, and, you know, calling for less virtue signaling, it's, it's kind of a way of calling BS on, you know, the theory of change to overcome racism or sexism or any of these other horrendous, you know, kinds of uh, discrimination. Um, that that uh, uh, right now we're at a, at a point, I mean, not in entirely, but most of our laws, you know, in theory, and, and there's still work to be done, I'll have to say that, 
um, uh, like there's no equal rights amendment for, for women, for instance, in the Constitution. Um, but um, we have there are still work to do on the laws, but we've kind of reached the end of that phase of change. Right. And um, when people think about how, you know, uh, minority folks suffer uh, disproportionately from poverty, from police brutality, from you name it, right, from COVID, um, that it is, uh, you know, we can't really make much more of a change from the legalistic standpoint. We need to change how it is that these things are delivered, okay? So in other words, economics, for an example, um, if uh, a disproportionate amount of black-owned businesses are going bankrupt because of the closure uh, and, and, and the pandemic and Congress's inept handling of that, in my opinion, um, it's because we have poverty in this country. We have uh, uh, generational poverty, okay, that has never been seriously addressed. And if we were to address that, okay, for instance – then uh, we will get to a place where there's not a disproportionate amount, you know, or it's negligible relatively to what it is now of impacts on people of color, for instance. Okay. So uh, in other words, um, uh, and and there's plenty of examples um, uh, where uh, if you take a policy and make a policy as a party and get behind it and say, uh, yeah, we're supporting uh, Medicare for all. Okay, that will uh, that will disproportionately help minority groups <laughs> because they're disproportionately harmed because of uh, of the institutional racism. You're not going to pass a law saying, well, we. I mean, this is where sometimes you get into quotas, and this is it becomes a culture war item, right? Where you go, you pass a law and say, well, you know, instead of trying to eliminate poverty, okay, we try to eliminate the disproportional aspects of poverty on people, and which is which is really a cockamamie way to go. But that's something that the Democrats seem to be wholly, you know, involved with, and so. Uh, you know, entering into the culture war stuff with the Republicans, that gets a lot of satisfaction from Democrats and Republicans the same way. They get a lot of satisfaction from fighting these damn culture war things, which end up not really helping people a whole hell of a lot. I agree 100 percent, Mark. They've been playing us like fiddles uh, going back to Lisa Clinton. Um, a lot of things here in my mind uh, um you know, again, uh, uh, the, they picked the culture one side, economic the other. Uh, and what you're talking about here actually is, um, uh, uh, you know, economic policy that favors all. Uh, well, and, and then you'll see in culturally, you'll see uh, these groups tout themselves like Silicon Valley is my favorite uh, punching bag. Um, you know, they're open. They're open for the entire rainbow of humanity, Mark. No doubt about it. Everybody. Right. Except the union organizer or the labor activists. And then there's two words <laughs> that they got for them. Call security. Right. Call security. Right. They're out of here. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. uh, they've been playing this uh, like fiddles for a year. And you see, I'm sadly to see with Biden. Um, OK, let's celebrate the fact that um, should we be celebrating the fact that we have a black man as head of the Department of Defense, or should be questioning why do we have a general, a military man, in charge of the Department of Defense and not a civilian? Absolutely. And that's, that's not to, to point at the individual person. He probably is going to work out okay. But there, there's a reason why Congress made a, a seven-year gap between when a general retires and when they can enter into the Department of Defense is to keep civilian control over the military. So, but to, you know, to say, to laud this is a great thing. Oh, we, you know, we have a black man as if, uh, you know, uh, that's all he is. Right. <laughs> right. Is, 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 is really kind of an insult to black people. Right. 
um, in, in, in kind of a backhanded way. Um, I, 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 I take, um, I, you know, maybe some of the listeners are uh, familiar with Adolf Reed. Um, and he's, and I've been following him for decades. Um, and he's a, he's a black uh, intellectual. And, um, and, and he, he loves to say, okay, and he's absolutely right on about this, uh, about this kind of virtual signaling culture war stuff. He goes, okay, if we have in a court, if, if we have, uh, say Amazon, okay. Uh, or, or, uh, you know, one of the other, uh, high tech corporations and they have, you know, 50% of their, uh, you know, management is women, you know, 15% are, are uh, black, uh, or, or, you know, 20% Hispanic, you know, 10% gay and lesbian, you know, um, if you had everything like that, that totally reflected the general population in the U S you'd still have an exploitive company that exploits its workers, that exploits its customers, that is a monopoly and is doing evil things. Right. And, you know, and so where, you know, how does changing, I mean, I, I'm, you know, it's always thin ice to, to go on this because of cancel culture. Right. But um, you have to say, well, uh, where can be, where, where's the impact? Where's the change? That could happen there, and there maybe there's some changes on the margin, but not really, you know. And and uh, and so having this having um, uh, this black gentleman, this retired uh, general, as the head of the Department of Defense, um, how is he going to make a difference uh, as a black man in renouncing uh, neoconservatism, for instance? We don't Absolutely. Know. Right. I mean, but, but, and it may have it may have nothing to do with his race, <laughs> but that's that's really the, more, the the bigger question. Right. How is he going to be? And, and I've heard this about him because he's he knows war. OK. And, and um, but and, and maybe that is to the benefit because he would be much more reluctant to get into war. That's if that's the case. But that has, doesn't have to do with that he's a black man. Absolutely. And again, going back to the point that uh, both the Democrats and Republicans voted to restrict uh, the last President Trump from withdrawing from uh, Afghanistan instead of uh, bringing the boys home. Mark Anderlecht, right. Uh, right now joining me from Missoula, Montana on Saturday, the 23rd of January, discussing his 10 elements for a new party. Going to take a quick pause here logistically. like to break these up into 30-minute segments for uh, the radio show. So I'm going to stop here and hold on, Mark. Sure. 